Thanks for tuning in to the Roundtable Podcast, episode 52. That's one year, guys. Woohoo! Hello, friends. I'm Dave Robison. And I'm Lauren Harris, filling in for Brian Humphrey, who, even as we speak, is injecting his newborn son with a variation on the super soldier formula in the hopes of creating his own private superhero, or at least getting the kid a sports scholarship. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. And and you know this cannot end well. Uh, uh, I, I guarantee you we're, we're talking therapy and, and many super battles over the Greeley skyline for these two. That's awesome. Assuredly. Oh, God. And, and dear friends, you have tuned in to the Roundtable Podcast. Each week on the Roundtable Podcast, we invite writers to come on the show and present a story idea to us and our esteemed guest host. And then we lash it to a treadmill and crank that baby up to 11, making it sweat out all of those toxic story bits until it's a lean, mean story machine, what we like to call literary gold. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. And you and I do that just about as good as Brian and I do it, which is not good at all. But that's okay. That's awesome. Uh, Lauren, first of all, thank you so much. This is I, I so enjoyed having you as my wing person on the 20 Minutes With, and I'm really looking forward to this workshop. This is going to be great fun. But thank you for, for taking time from what you've been doing uh, to help out. That means a lot. No, it's, you know, it's my pleasure. I'm always, always happy to help out family. Oh, yes, sister. Yeah. Blood is thicker than water. That's right. That's right. Now, now, what is it that you're doing when you're not uh, filling in and helping out your your illegitimate brother? Well, I am a desk jockey and a phone center slave from <laughs> nine to six during the weekdays. Okay. But uh, when I am not doing such um, rigorous, such rigorous and terrifying, I, I, I answer phone calls for angry CPAs, basically. So, yeah. Yeah. Ooh, ooh is right. Um, but for fun. So, in order to uh, to cure the stress of that, I, I like to write and draw quite a bit in my free time, and uh, I'm currently working on a revision of a fantasy novel, the rough draft of the fantasy novel that we workshopped a few months ago on the Roundtable podcast. I'm up to chapter eight, Woo. and rewriting the second draft of a horror comedy novelette. Oh, wow. Oh, very cool. And, and, of course, podcasting in your spare time. And, of course, we're getting ready to ramp up to Season 2 of Pendragon Variety Podcast. Yes, the Pendragon ladies back on the potosphere. Watch out. It's badass. <laughs> and you sing as well. Holy crap, you did that wonderful thing with tea and oh. uh, it's cold outside. <laughs> that was stunning. That was awesome. Oh, well, thank you. So. I do like to sing in my downtime. Well, and, and mostly I, in the car. <laughs> well, you could you could take it outside. I'm telling you right now. And 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 so I feel honored to have have my incredibly talented sister uh wing wing personing with me on this one. Um and and speaking of of dazzling and talented, what do you say we bring our guest host back to the mic? I guess if you can explain to him that I wasn't able to steal another bottle of Argentinian wine, then go ahead. I'll break the news. I'll break the right. news. I I have donuts. Cool. I have donuts. Stand in uh, front of me. 
<laughs> Dear friends, uh, author of the, the mollified tales uh, and also the wool omnibus that sweeps the country and the world time and time again with its awesomeness, uh, please welcome back to the big comfy chair, Hugh Howie. Hugh, thank you, sir, for coming back to the round table and helping us workshop a story today. That is awesome. We so appreciate it. Thank you, Dave and, and Lauren. And I have to say, I like donuts even better than wine. So this is a treat. Yes. I really appreciate Good. it. Yeah. Yes. Awesome. We actually, one of my other co-hosts is is Canadian and he comes down with these, I forget, what is it, Henry Horton or something like that? Canadian donuts. They're like death in a box. It's killer. So feel free. Help yourself. Thanks. Uh, Hugh, uh, uh, you know, this is actually the second time we tried to get with you. The first time uh, you, you had gotten whisked out to LA <laughs> uh, at the last minute and and I can only imagine that's happening more and more frequently in your life. Can you can you share with our listeners uh, uh, some of the awesomeness that's coming up from from the desk of Hugh Howie and what we can look for uh, to to affirm the the fabulosity of wool and all its many variations? Uh, the next big thing I have going on. Well, I'm getting ready to uh, in two days. I'm flying out to Germany for the release of wool there and doing some interviews and meeting publishers and and then off to the UK and Ireland for some uh, interviews with um, the media out there. We just had the book launch in the UK in, in January and it hit the Sunday Times list. So I guess that warrants a, uh, a trip across the pond. I say so. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, very exciting. And then I'll, I'll get back just in time to go to South by Southwest and and speak on a panel, and that weekend will be the launch of the print edition in bookstores. Uh, we did a, a pretty groundbreaking deal with Simon & Schuster where they uh, took the print rights and left me with the digital rights. So, Holy crap, that's groundbreaking. Yeah, we had. there's been some uh, other publishers, Not a, uh, I think this is the first of the big six publishers to do this, but just as, as recently as six months to a year ago, people said that this kind of deal would never happen, sure. and now... Yeah, um, it's several authors have had um, have had this sort of deal, so we're hoping it's a trend. Dude, and you're, you're breaking new ground for all of us. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it's timing. It's it was going to happen for somebody, and I'm just lucky to be writing when I'm writing. So yeah, uh, I feel just fortunate to, that it, five years earlier, and my work never would have gotten out there, and five years later, and people would have um, had more quality work to choose from. So uh, I hit the sweet spot. I it guess. was like the. It's like the first idiot to be in, in California looking for gold, you know? Yeah, I, I, I guess you could look at it that way. You could also look at it as an amazing freaking story and uh, timing be damned. It was, there was destiny involved here, but you know. I like your version better. Thank you. Yes. I, I tend to, I, I can rock that. I'm, I'm curious, you, what are you, what are you speaking on at South by Southwest? I'm on a panel put together by Rachel Deal of Publishers Weekly, and we're going to talk about um, indie uh, publishing and basically how it's kind of the uh, an entree into um, a publishing career rather than a last resort for people who've given up on a publishing career. It's, awesome. Yeah, it's become more of an entry level. Uh, self-publishing is becoming entry level rather than uh, I give up. I'm going to try this because nothing else worked. Right, right, right. Now, are you flying solo on that panel or do you have a distinguished guests standing beside you? Oh yeah, I'm just one of. Um, I will have a literary agent from New York, we'll have Rachel Deal from Publishers Weekly, myself, and I believe a panel moderator. Or no, I think Rachel might be moderating. So it's okay. either three or four of us. 
That's outstanding. I, I can only concentrate on like what I have to what I have to know to do tomorrow. <laughs> That's right. What, Where do what, I show up and, and what do I say? And what is the literary so, what did the literary agent put in my hand just now? This is what I'm right. focusing on right now. Got it. Exactly. <laughs> Are you gonna be doing any other uh conventions? Are you doing like uh, uh San Diego Comic Con or World Con or anything like that? I'm hoping to do Comic Con. I'm hoping to have a, a wall comic book out by then. That's in the works. Dude, and, really? Uh, oh yeah. And um we're gonna have I think six issues coming out and we hope to have the first one out by comic-con and i think this is the first place i've announced that so i'm not even sure i'm supposed to have announced it yet <laughs> uh, I, get a, I get a call from somebody after this but um and we hope to have uh news on the film by then where uh things are proceeding much quicker than i had anticipated there I, i've been very down on the the I, the potential of this to actually get turned into a film but uh, a lot of people want it to happen, and the people who want to make it happen are the people who make these things happen. So that's fortunate. And uh, yeah, the, the trip to LA was very productive. And uh, yeah, and yeah. Simon Schuster sent me on like a 14 stop, 12 city book tour. And that's going to be a, a whirlwind. That's in March. And part of that will be the Virginia Festival of the Book. And But yeah, I, I, I'm going to do. Worldcon again. I love the I love the conferences. It's it's fun just meeting other writers and meeting readers and um, you know writing it off as a business expense when really you're just having the, the time of your life. So that's right. Bonus Argentinian wine everywhere, everywhere, and donuts and donuts. <laughs> well, Hugh, I imagine that there's a website or something that people can check out to to stay on top of all of your all of the Hugh Howie sightings that are going on around the world. Yeah, it's just HughHowie.com, and if the if you can figure out how to spell my first and last name, then you have entered the, uh, you know, the, the, the rarefied the, circle of the elite. Exactly. There's only a handful of people who get it right. So good luck. <laughs> and we're going to actually, with that in mind, we're going to spell your name like five different ways on Please. the, on the webpage. Yes. Just so nobody, we're not going to give away anything. Awesome. Conf- confound Google. <laughs> That's my my goal in life. Or Brian, Google. Maybe, yeah. Break the Google. Maybe Brian's son can be that guy. Maybe he'll be the superhero who confounds Google. That's awesome. Um, Google Fontes. That's his name. We got to get Brian on. Holy crap. He's going to love that. His Google, middle name is Google Fontes. Google Fontes. There you go. Super villain or hero. You decide. <laughs> Uh, but for right now, friends, um, if you figured out how to how to how to spell Hugh's name, uh, uh, go do check out his website at HughHowie.com. But for right now, I'm going to urge you to stay put. Listen to what's coming next, which is going to be an awesome promo for a, an ebook or another podcast, something fabulous. Uh, and when we come back, we're going to workshop a story. How, how does that sound to my my esteemed panel of guests? What say you? Yes. All right. Cool. All right. <laughs> Lauren's saying, sure, what the hell? Why not? Let's yeah, do it. Whatever. <laughs> All right, guys, you stay right where you are. We will be right back. Over the course of a single night, mystical fires tore through the sky and reduced most of Earth to ash. Ten years later, magical fire burns again, but this time it's in the hands of a young girl named Skylar. Exiled from her adoptive home, Skylar must now struggle through ruined lands and religious zealots who believe she's an agent of the devil. 
An even greater threat exists in the form of shadowy sorcerers from another world who covet her blood. Along her journey, she meets a motley band of outcasts who not only know the secret of what happened to Earth, but also of Skylar's true origin. Will Skylar be able to accept this fantastical truth? But more importantly, can her powers and raging heart be tamed in time to stop those who once burned the world and now seek total domination? Justin R. McCumber, the author of Haywire, has unleashed his new novel upon the world, A Minor Magic. Published by Crescent Moon Press, it is a post-apocalyptic tale of death, love, and magic. It's available from Amazon and Barnes & Noble, both in print and ebook formats. If you'd like to know more about the author, visit his site at justinmccumber.com, as well as facebook.com forward slash Justin R. McCumber. Actually, Lauren, can you, we, I didn't prep you for this, but can you take us out of break? And we're back. Bam, there it is. How tough can it be to take out, take us out of break? Thank you. You are fabulous. This, dear friend. Sorry, I was like, uh, what would Justin do? What would Justin and do? And we're back. And we're back. Bam, there we go. Let's roll into it. I love it. Dear friends, you know the, how the roundtable works. This is where we get to workshop a story, and that doesn't happen unless we have a courageous guest writer, creative and courageous uh, guest writer stepping up to the plate to share their story. Now, Lauren Hugh, our, our guest writer for this episode, lives in Mount Rainier, Maryland. She owns a small business selling vintage clothing and writes genre fiction to extremely lucrative fields. We expect big things from her on the Fortune 500 pages. Um, when she's not raking in the dough in that way, she enjoys 1930s detective novels, nittering, nittering? Sure, <laughs> nittering. Uh, it's a new sport. And playing imaginary Craigslist interior decorator. Oh, hell yeah. Her short stories have appeared in Strange Horizons, Daily Science Fiction, and Podcastle, among others. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome, armed with the awesomeness that she is, to the chair, writer's chair here at the round table, Holly Mincer. Holly, thank you so much for taking the time and, and holy crap, showing the bravery of stepping up and sharing a story. We appreciate that. Well, thank you for having me. Absolutely. Now, Imaginary Craigslist interior decorator. How does that work? What is that? Okay, this is this is the thing because because I've I've I'm in the pro I'm not actually not in Mount Rainier yet. I'm about to move. Okay. I need new furniture. I've been on Craigslist a lot. I've started doing this thing where I go, hmm, how many things can I find that go together? <laughs> if I had this many dollars and my house was here, and I wanted everything in my room to be this color. What can I find? Oh my God! And are so, you the, are you the only person doing this, Holly? I if you search that phrase on Google, my Tumblr is the only thing that comes up. Okay, friends, <laughs> that would be awesome. we, we need to change that right now. Friends, listeners of the roundtable, go out, create your Tumblrs, and begin playing imaginary Craigslist interior decorator. Let's make this a thing. That is so awesome, Holly. I think she needs to be a personal shopper, like. 
people Damn. email her and say, I'm, I'm moving to this area. Well, I like white I, things. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, submit a, a question to the Tumblr and I will cheerfully go on your local Craigslist and look up things that match for you because I have a lot of fun doing it. Bam. There it is. There it is. And yet another clearly high paying, high yield position to add oh, yeah. to your power resume. <laughs> Holly, that's badass. Now, Holly, you brought a story and, and I'm keen, keen, I say, uh, uh, to get to workshop. And are you ready for this? I definitely am. You rock. You rock out loud. Okay, so here's the deal. We're going to give you five to eight minutes. Give us the title, the genre, the format. Is it a short story, novella, whatever? Uh, uh, give us theme, a tagline. Introduce us to the world if it's a strange place. Uh, tell us about the characters. Walk us through some key story points so we get a basic understanding of what we're dealing with. And then we're going to workshop this bad boy. But Sounds good. For now, I'm turning over the mic to you, ma'am. It's all yours. Okay. Um. All right. My novel is called, at least provisionally, Athena the Brave. It's a middle grade science fiction story. It's meant for an 11 or 12 year old reader. It tells the story of two kids who don't know how to communicate with each other and have to learn to work together well enough to communicate with aliens. It's a story about family and trust and the challenges of growing up in isolation from your peers. Now, the lead character is Athena. She's a bright and inquisitive 13 year old who's grown up in social isolation. She loves having people around, but she isn't great yet at picking up on subtle social cues or understanding body language. She's a quick thinker, though, and she's a fast and highly adaptable learner. She's good with machines and computers, but she takes a tinkerer's approach and isn't very methodical. Now, Paul, on the other hand, who is sort of the second lead, uh, he doesn't have a lot in common with Athena besides his age and an equal share of social cluelessness. <laughs> Unlike her, though, he has no real interest in improving his ability to interact and mostly wants to be left alone to do his own thing in peace and quiet. He is the sort of person who always reads the instructions and he's usually happiest in his own head. His parents are the only people he's willing to be close to. Now, Paul and Athena's adventure leads them to meet the third main member of the cast, who's an alien. Athena dubs her Birdie because she can't actually vocalize the sounds of Birdie's language. As her nickname would suggest, Birdie's closest Earth analog is avian, with a beak and feathers, and her speech is whistled more than spoken. Birdie is on her first trip into space when Paul and Athena kidnap her, and while she's adventurous, this is a little more adventure than she was planning on. Now, the story is set 700 years in the future, and humankind has filled just about every possible niche within range of the sun. So they've started looking beyond it to other stars. They're colonizing the inhabitable planets that they can reach without faster-than-light travel. Much of the story takes place on the colony ship Winnipeg, which set out from the Sol system 70 years ago with a cargo of cryo-frozen colonists. The Winnipeg is manned by a skeleton crew. So you have a single family at a time who runs the ship for a seven-year hitch. They spend the first year uh, training with the previous family and the last year training their successors. With this system, the Winnipeg's colonists can make the long journey without needing the resources of a generation ship and without their crew aging more than a few years in transit. So Athena has spent the last five years alone on the Winnipeg with her parents and her pen pals for company. She's grown up without any real peers, so she's very much looking forward to the last year of her crew hitch, when the Nkrumah family and their son Paul will be thawed out and join her in running the ship. Unfortunately, she and Paul don't get along. That's putting it lightly. Athena, who loves to talk to people and who's been longing for a friend, can't seem to find the right things to say to Paul. Everything comes out wrong, or is taken the wrong way, or doesn't have the effect she wanted. Paul doesn't seem the least bit interested in being Athena's friend, or in having much of anything to do with her. The trouble is, Athena's an extrovert, 
who thinks she's finally got someone to talk to. But Paul is an introvert who's hoping to finally be left alone. And neither of them is willing to change enough to find common ground between them. Athena has nearly given up on getting through to Paul when the Winnipeg encounters a strange ship in the depths of space. It's not a human ship. And in the confusion of first contact with Bertie's people, Athena's mother and one of Paul's mothers are carried away by the aliens at faster than light speeds that the Winnipeg can't match. When a second ship makes contact weeks, weeks later, Paul is determined to rescue his mom, and Athena gets carried along for the ride. The two of them manage to sneak onto the alien ship where they kidnap a juvenile alien. They set off on a rescue mission in an FTL-powered shuttle that they don't know how to fly, and with an alien that they don't know how to talk to. So now Athena's got to work together with Paul, who she doesn't understand despite their common language. And she's got to find some way of enlisting the alien's help, without any way of communicating with it. For someone who loves talking and loves making connections with people, it's a really frustrating situation. But she's going to find a way to get through to the alien, and to Paul, and rescue her mom, no matter what it takes. So that's what I've got. All right. Very cool. Now, uh, first of all, excellent pitch. Well done. I love it. Yeah. yeah outstanding. Okay. Um, do you have Do you have an end game in mind? And and perhaps a related question is, Holly, what are you hoping to get out of this this next forty minutes, forty five minutes or so? Um, I do. I sort of want to put the dots together between that setup and an end game. Okay. I have I have sort of a vague end game in mind. Um, I, I'm they're going to be successful. They're going to find their parents. They are going to not have a giant intergalactic interstellar war between Bertie's people and the humans. We don't want any of that to happen. So they have to figure out how to avert all that and find their parents and That's create some kind in. of peaceful interaction okay. between two species. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, and anything else that, that you're hoping we can zero in on or shall we focus largely on connecting those dots and bringing it to a successful end game? Um, I mean, the beats I really want to hit are like probably figuring out a little bit more of Birdie's culture, um, figuring out what her people want, what they're doing in the humans part of space. Okay. And I, I have some vague ideas in that tor- in that line, but I'm not sure if I want to stick with them or not. So okay. I'd love to hear what you think of them. Outstanding. Um, and just sort of you know, map my way through the, the territory that I haven't mapped yet. Okay. I, I think we can help with that. In fact, I'm, I'm fairly certain we can. Um, but before we do, we really need to, to cover our ass. So Lauren, would you be so kind? I would. So before we go in, uh, this is your story. Mm-hmm. Anything we say or suggest might and likely is a steaming pile of bullshit <laughs> with which you can fertilize the garden of your own awesomeness. Oh, good. Nice. Very good. Are you cool with that, Holly? Sounds good. Excellent. All right. That said, let's let's take a quick turn around the table. Um, these, these opening comments and eyes, this is just uh, a quick overview of our impressions of Holly's story. Uh, some of the things that have kind of twigged in our minds that maybe we want to explore a little bit later. And also an opportunity to ask any questions about something that maybe wasn't so clear in the initial pitch. Because it's really, we don't give them much time to do that at all. Uh, so we'll lead off with our, our guest host. So, so Master Hugh, um, what were your first impressions of, of Holly's idea? And do you have any questions uh, of clarification to ask? I, it sounds like a wonderful story idea. What I love about it is you've taken a, um, a science fiction trope, which is uh, long distance colonization, uh, non-FTL travel, 
but instead of that being the story, that's just a backdrop for the the overlap of these families who have to run the the ship. Which um, you know, the more layered goodness like that before you you have your actual character interaction story, the better. So you have this wonderful uh, backdrop of lore and and rules, and I think that's brilliant. Yeah. Um, I think there's you know two ways you could start off with it. You could do a slow burn like a uh, you know, the start of Alien or the start of um, 2001 Space Odyssey, where it's just, you know, uh, her, you know the, the, the family and the isolation and the girl being lonely and really playing that enough for people to see why she'd be desperate for this uh, interaction with Paul. Um, or, you know, it's, it's so dangerous to allow readers time to get bored of a story. Um, yeah. So, you know, the other the other idea would be to start this really close to the mothers being uh, kidnapped. So it just kind of hits the ground running, and and you have to explain why she's desperate for interaction later. Um, what I love about it is it's it's every marriage. It's you know women wanting to talk and men like just let me watch the damn football game. And so I, I I I can't wait to read it to see if there's any kind of solution for my marital woes. <laughs> Oh, certainly not. This is a mid-grade story, Hugh. Keep yeah, that in mind, okay? I, I'm I trying to steer clear of romance on this one pretty pretty thoroughly. Um, <laughs> I'll read it anyway. Awesome. Okay, it's <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the happy medium I'm, I think I might find for how I'm kicking it off, and, and I do have a little bit written, and I, I have that, that first chapter or two written. Um, we, we meet Athena uh, covered in fish poop, cleaning out the uh, filtration unit on the, the fish farm. Awesome. Kind of going awesome. about her day, there a day or two before they wake up the next family. That's probably a perfect balance. There you go. There you go. No, nothing says sci-fi like fish poop. That's awesome. That's how I feel. <laughs> <laughs> and I love that you have you have contact layered in there as well. You have so many neat themes. And one one thing I I like is in a, in a story is actions that follow from each other. So it's not just a lot of coincidence. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. And and if you're looking for the motivation of the uh, the, the bird people, uh, the birdies, um, you know maybe they see this. You know if they have FTL and, and humans don't, then they see this like really slow ship heading their way, and the, they they know what what's going to happen that they're heading towards this home planet to to colonize them. They already live there, and no one knew that because their language is so different that they're not transmitting. You know, what, what we sure, would not on up. our frequency or whatever, not a band right. that we read or not even, you know, they don't even need radio or, or, or whatever. So uh, their, their plan looks completely dark, but maybe they're seeing this coming and maybe they have matri- a matriarchal system, which is why they kidnapped the, the, the mothers. But so, you know, the, the, the kidnapping is basically instigated by the, the trajectory of the ship heading towards their home planet. So sure. they see it as a threat. Right, and then and, and then you have a reason for everything. You know, everything follows from uh, a priori conditions. And- yeah, I mean, the I, I don't have this completely worked out, and please tell me if you think you have a better idea, but what I'm thinking, I'm leaning towards at least, is that Birdie's people are also pushing out into space. They're just doing it a lot faster. So, um, and, and they've been doing it longer. So okay. one of the one of the things uh, the Winnipeg is taking advantage of is when they find them, they're using what they think are natural wormholes 
to make some jumps that take them a little farther on their trip and get them there a little faster. They are not natural wormholes. They are birdies people's early attempts at, you know, interstellar bypasses. Nice. Which they don't use anymore because they've got real FTL now. Nice. Now, now because they are an avian species, uh, species or based on an avian species, it might be kind of cool to work in something along the lines of uh, nesting or migration. Yeah, they're... they're like that. That's cool. Yeah. So if you um, work in like a, a migration actually pattern... Actually, just watch of the Penguins. <laughs> <laughs> but if there's, if there's like they have two different planets that they go to because maybe one has like crazy storms during a certain season or during a certain, you know, century. And so they're migrating to their other century planet. And, mm-hmm. uh... And meanwhile, the humans are encroaching on their their territory. And yeah. Yeah, I, the I think there set. is going to be, like, the planet that the humans are heading for is one that the birdies people also have their eye on, if they're not already there. Mm-hmm. If, sure. that, if that works. It could be a spawning planet if, if it's, you know, they all return here to... Uh, yeah. to, to, to mate or no, you don't want to, or, it's well, or their trajectory right. takes them through a, a critical segment. And because this, the ship is so mm-hmm. primitive, uh, it's going to be a disruption through some important byway of, of traffic and they need to find some way to divert it. Uh, otherwise mm-hmm. catastrophe ensues. Pause. Yeah. Penguins. I mean, penguins, wait, penguins. wait, 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 wait. Okay. So penguins, the females, Lay the eggs and then leave the males yes, with the yes, eggs. Yes, that's actually the thing. With <laughs> yes. The females, like the whole the whole ship, Birdie's whole ship is sta- is crewed by females of her species because the males all stay home with the eggs. <laughs> so the males, maybe the males and the eggs are on the planet that the humans are heading toward, and the females are like, "Oh no, you don't." <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think the, that Birdie's people's initial reaction is basically just, "Holy shit, sentient aliens! We have to bring these home immediately and show everyone." <laughs> Well, actually, I, I have a couple of questions, uh, uh, Holly. And actually, Lauren, did you have any questions or any other first impressions for for Holly? Well, um, I one of my first impressions was I really like the idea of the skeleton crew being an entire family. Yes, yes. I don't see. I, I mean, normally you see like just a bunch of adults who do that, so you don't really get a kid's perspective on everything that's happening. And you know, it's that's five years. That's a long time of their life. They do a lot of growing in that time period. Yeah, so this idea of isolation and then the the running theme of communication and the lack of communication mm-hmm. through the story, both between at, at the level of interpersonal, interspecies, that is it blew my mind a little bit. Yeah. That was pretty oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, I mean I get that like this was certainly true for me and I feel like it's true for a lot of kids who grow up reading a lot of genre fiction. They are not so good at the interpersonal relations. Yeah. Not not so good yeah. at the socializing. A we lot all had a problem with that. I well think. and and now I actually lived in Japan for three years and um, I was learning Japanese while I was there, but I I really latch on to these ideas of, of deracination and not being able to communicate with other people um, effectively, so that is maybe something that grips me. This is awesome. This is perfect. We've got Hugh Howie, who can give a unique perspective on being isolated inside of a colony ship. Uh, we've got Lauren Harris, who who grew up in Japan, so understands how not communicating can make you insane. Uh, uh, and I'm I'm just I'm I'm like a yenta. I just bring these people together here, make, discuss, have fun. Actually, I do have a couple of questions. Sure. Um, pen pals. Who are these pen pals that that Athena is pen paling with when she's on a colony ship with a bunch of sleepy people? Um, mostly they are kids on other colony ships. Um, 
when she when the ship left Earth, when they left the Soul System, they were not expecting to be in contact with Earth once they got a couple of light years away. They figured they were going to be completely cut off. Um, about 40 years after they left, someone back in the Soul System was in, in, in basically invented FTL communication. They don't okay. have full FTL travel yet, but they can send. They can punch a tiny little wormhole through the fabric of space time and and send data through. Data packets, sure. Okay, awesome. So Athena can be in touch with Earth. She can get. They can get updates on technology, on culture, on everything that's happened while they're gone, and she can send video and and text messages to kids on other ships and kids back on Earth. Awesome. We need to play with that. The other question was okay. So the aliens first show up. They snatch Athena and Paul's mom. Um, and then what do the dads do? What are they doing while Athena and Paul are, are, are hijacking FTL ships and kidnapping alien children? Well, Athena's dad and Paul's other mom, um, basically have to hold down the fort. They have to keep the ship running, which they can do with that number of people because that's what the ship's designed for. But they're, you know, they're under a lot of stress. They're freaking out. They're trying to get back in touch with earth. You know, they're waiting for the next little wormhole to be punched through so they can be like, you guys, you guys, aliens, what do we do? <laughs> okay, so Paul has two moms. Yes. Awesome. Okay. Very cool. Why didn't both moms get snatched? Um, Because both moms were not in the shuttle that went out to meet the alien ship. Ah, aha. Okay, very good. So it wasn't, it wasn't necessarily a gender thing. It was like, here are the mature humans of convenience. Let's grab these mm. yes. so we have samples to show. Pretty much, yeah. Okay. I, um, yeah, okay. Several things. First of all, um, a thought occurred to me of uh, what if when um, Athena wakes up, uh, uh, she finds uh, a message from one of the other kids uh, who has been awake previously during the generation ship who noticed some strange readings outside <laughs> the vessel. Uh, and has done, and actually the first kid noticed this, and this pe message has been passed on from kid to kid through these families, if there's a kid to, to read it. And it's huh. the it's the aliens tracking and following the humans as they go. That that could be interesting. I had been I had been thinking more along the lines of this this is more of a chance encounter. The aliens didn't see the humans coming, the humans didn't see the aliens coming. But um the idea of there being some 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 message passed down from kid to kid so uh, check this out. Check really that cool. out. Yeah, uh, it's up in it's up in the frequency Z band, uh, and and maybe maybe Athena doesn't know what the fuck the the, the frequency Z band is, uh, but Paul is uniquely qualified uh, uh, to to tune to the frequency Z band or whatever the MacGuffin du jour is. Right. Uh, I mean, just, now I'm just I think Athena would have been. She's thirteen now, so she would have been quite quite young when she was hanging out with the last kid to be on the ship. Right. Um, well, these kids don't necessarily know each other. They, they oh, you know, I see, I see. You kind of, you kind of like Athena. If Athena wrote this down and then tucked it somewhere, and now, then I actually, I actually have a a, a brainwave. Go ahead, go ahead. Here. So you have the the um, FTL communication, but what if they didn't have FTL communication, and you enhance the theme of isolation by saying rather than actually being able to communicate with these other kids, all these kids just keep logs that are passed down almost like novels to the other kids like time capsules like time like capsules yeah. and they get and they get these and so all all she doesn't have the ability to communicate back she's getting all this one way and so she I just like 
she keeps she passes her time by reading all of these logs from the other kids. And she could be getting logs from other ships that right. are within that are just range, being, but right. nothing in real time. There's no there's no back and forth. Or if right. there is, it's on the scale of like people writing letters to each other in the age of sail. Right. Yes, exactly. So it's woefully outdated, but wonderful from a writer's standpoint to bring in uh, uh, a well-timed plot twist. uh, Yeah, you get a letter like once a year, maybe, from someone. Right. All right. Hugh, turning the mic back over to you, guy. What are you thinking? Where are we we going from here, sir? I'm loving it all. And I I love the idea of the, the lore of previous families. And it might cool if this isn't the first time this has happened um maybe the first family to have uh oh, their woman folk, uh, yeah. pulled away and so she finds that that why they're doing this and that they, they kind of like a bird uh coming in and and plucking away eggs out of someone else's nest that maybe there's really some nefarious Ooh, plan um, for these women what if what if the other colony ships are encountering other alien ships yes out there maybe maybe the winnipeg is, is is having its first encounter but the winnipeg is not the only one to have an encounter so if they are cut off from earth completely if there is no ftl communication they won't know that the other ships are encountering this until well after the fact. Well, and like and like Hugh was saying, maybe these aren't maybe the people that the Winnipeg is encountering aren't the nice avian aliens. Maybe they're the magpies. Maybe right. maybe they're the ones that the other avian aliens don't like. And oh, what a bummer that the yeah, Winnipeg. Yeah, I, I want lots of alien them. politics. By yes. the way, that is a thing that I want yeah. to do a lot. Like the aliens have a lot of internecine wrangling that is going on over what to do about the humans. I love um, that. I love it, that. You know, to maybe if you're going to stick with one one or two points of view, it might be nice to have the kidnapping take place because the the man and one of the mothers, the husband and one of the mothers went off in the scout ship and that's when they came in to steal um the so that way the kids are present when the kidnappings take place if you want to make it a little more cool. immediate. Um, Oh. Yeah, no, I mean, the whole thing is, is in first person from Athena's point of view, and there's no other points of view. Oh, yeah. So, so that would, very, would, very tight first. Yeah, I would have the kidnapping take place on the colony ship. And maybe what she doesn't know is uh, they're, they're taking them, but they're also doing something else, like taking frozen families or taking, you know, there, there's something, there's some other reason for them to be there that she reveal later in the story. I um, kind of like if, or like, like Blue Jays just push the eggs out of other birds' nests. Right, to make room. So what if they are what going... What if they plant like, some of their own? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Oh, badass. Okay. <laughs> that That is cool. Um, I haven't worked out enough of their culture yet to know how that would work, but that could work. That's awesome because huh. then not only do we have to, you know, maybe... Oh, God. Maybe... Okay, I'm just going to throw this out there. Maybe it's not uh, uh, Athena's mom and, and Paul's mom uh, that get kidnapped. Maybe... Uh, uh, there's there's an altercation of some kind. There is no overt change, but it's not until they go down into the cryobirths that they realize, holy crap, somebody screwed with our 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 logs. And wait, these aren't humans in this cryo sleep. These are these oh, that are... would be so creepy. Yeah. Oh, that would be really really creepy. Oh god. <laughs> Oh, sorry, I just got chills. Which which means then they have to, you know, my God, we have to go get our, our humans. Uh, but then what do we do with these guys? And maybe, oh God, maybe that's Birdie. Birdie, Birdie. Birdie. yes. Birdie. They wake up Birdie. There's Birdie <laughs> no, right there. Yeah, I'm, yeah no, I'm I was sorry. having trouble, I was having trouble with how would they kidnap Birdie, but. Well, and also how would Birdie eventually become sympathetic to them if, if they kidnapped her? Yeah. 
that was the one of the big questions I had in my head. Instead, she wakes up and 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 you know, apparently avian kids have the same issue with their parents that human kids do, <laughs> and she don't want to wake her parents up. She wants to play with her new friends. This is yes. badass. I mean, I've been thinking of the Morse penguins, where it's you know the mothers go out and have adventures, and the fathers stay home and raise the chicks, but they could be cuckoos. Um, sure, it could be that yeah, Birdie's not not uh, is an orphan and maybe has um was cuckolded or uh mm. you know raised in a in a way that would be sympathetic to readers once they realize that they yeah, no, have something in common with the kids really hard time with the logistics of how paul and athena get birdie and get an alien shuttle so they can go adventuring which i'm, maybe, I'm still not sure how they get an alien ftl shuttle so they can go adventuring well maybe um, birdie uh maybe birdie is trying to escape you know maybe instead of being captured she, uh, she's looking f- for help and looking to enlist them. So, yeah, maybe. Oh, okay, wait. Oh, maybe Birdie. So there are alien politics and there are factions and there are things going back and forth. So the first ship that takes the moms is from the faction that doesn't want, that doesn't like the humans. That's that's hostile. That wants the territory that the humans want. The second ship, the one that comes months later, is the one that's friendly to the humans. That's Birdie's ship. Okay. And then Paul and Athena screw up the friendly second contact by kidnapping a kidnapping Birdie and stealing a shit. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That'll work. That'll totally work. Okay. So one of the questions that, or one of the ideas that I had while you were explaining your story was the, uh, or when you were talking about how um, you want to put the dots together to an end game. Mm-hmm. Um, with all the things that you've said, one of the things that, needs to happen is that they have to develop a system of communication with Birdie. Yeah. And I thought that, um, well, could developing a system for communication not only get Athena and Paul to work together, because she's got uh, this uh, love of taking things apart, but she's kind of willy-nilly about it, and he Mm -hmm. seems to be, like, more of a methodical... Yeah, he's the guy who maybe makes it... She's probably good at on-the-fly communication but he's the guy who's working out the glossary and the syllabary and like like she's 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 the one that's doing all the hand gestures and the pointing and Mm -hmm. he's the one that's writing things down and documenting it but couldn't that also provide a basis for communication between their cultures at the end of the story and sort of facilitate the the actual peaceful not warring right those three kids are going to be the ones who come to both sides and say hey we can work together, why can't you? The three of us can work together fine, we get along fine, the rest of you right. can do it too. Yeah. Right, yeah. I love that, that trope that, you know, the um, kids, kids are the model for the, for the, for the mm-hmm. adult rather than the other way around. Absolutely. Yeah, which, which is a model that I know middle grade kids like reading because it makes them... Right. You know, they're powerful. heroes. Yeah. They're, they're empowered, absolutely. Yeah. And, and if they're challenged, if the, if the characters are challenged along the way in meaningful, authentic ways, then not only are they heroes, but they're heroes that the kids can, the reader can get behind. So right. badassery. Well, uh, and that would, that would also give Athena and Paul something to talk about and both of them something to obsess over because they both have, they both have a dog in this fight or a, a parent in the, whatever, <laughs> were, you know what I mean? Right. Bump, but seriously, folks. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Now, what if, what if mm-hmm. the, um... I'm, 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 there's, there's two ideas that I'm, I'm toying with here. One of them is the notion that Earth knows about the avians uh, and knew about mm. them when they sent out the colony ship. Now, they don't know a lot, and they didn't want to cause a panic. 
So they've put some some stuff, they hid some stuff in the computer files. So if somebody starts searching this frequency of bandwave or somebody starts doing a search for this type of glyph or symbol, that this alert goes off and goes, whoop, 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 aliens, aliens. Here's everything we know about aliens. This could be really bad. Um, huh. And something along those lines so that... Maybe uh, as a writer, more resources could open up. The ship could take on a whole new tone. The 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 time frame could like tighten up as this becomes a warship now to defend oh. itself against the aliens. I'm picturing like that Transformers like chunka yeah. chunka chunka like. Kinda. We don't have to go quite that you know Michael Bay, but yeah, we can we can rock that. We can totally rock that. So <laughs> I that's don't know. I... that's one thing I'm thinking. That that could be cool. Um, I was leaning more towards like, I kind of want it to be a thing that Athena is experiencing for the first time, like to make, I want it to be a a special thing that no one else has gotten to do before. Gotcha. You know? Yeah. That's cool. Cause that's, that's what a middle grade reader is going to want to feel that sense of exploration and newness. Sure. Yeah. If, if everybody already know, if back home already knew about it before she even left, that takes away the, the shiny of making first contact. Good point. Good point. Yeah. Yeah. But but, yeah. And, and mostly that was, that was just a, um, uh, an opportunity. A bad idea on your part. Okay, yes, exactly. Let's let's move on from that. Um, the other idea, trying to redeem myself now, is um, the the notion that the destination that they're heading for is a bad thing uh, or an unknown thing. It's kind of like in two thousand one, you know, the, the the big black obelisk. Nobody knows what it's there for. Oh, I, I saw that movie for the first time not that long ago, and it was like watching the Doctor Who opening credits for twenty five minutes. I, <laughs> I don't think that's what was happening. Okay, maybe bad. <laughs> example oh um, uh, uh, but but there's something about the planet that the humans have selected for the Winnipeg's colonization that is bad that the that the avians have been studying that they don't understand oh, maybe it's maybe this is the third ship that's set out for this you know it's like America in the old days where the first colonies just disappear without a trace and no one knows why but yeah HMS terror or something the Roanoke like that. Yeah, yes. but the promise of this land is so great that they keep sending people and no one knows so then you have the whole lore of what happened to the lost colony. Um, well, there, there, if we don't have FTL communications, any colonists are by definition lost colonists. That's true. You're that's not hearing point. back from anyone. So any ship that's going out anywhere is taking a leap of faith. Well, but this could be this could be like the second generation of colony ships where they send out the first generation and then a few of the most promising get a double hit. You know, 50 years later, we're mm-hmm. going to send out another colony ship with reinforcements and more supplies and materials. They're going to assume everything went well. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's not the case. The Winnipeg is a secondary, is a backup, but the first yeah, colony ship never got yeah, there. Yeah, no, the Winnipeg is definitely not in the first generation of colony ships. I don't know if it's the first ship being sent to that particular planet yet or not. Okay. But it, it doesn't, like, I don't see why it, has to be the first ship no because actually that makes it a little bit easier in terms of what it's carrying because the first ship has to carry a lot more stuff sure sure and this one would be more support material and more and more mechanics and more stuff like that that that, Mm -hmm. yeah so more stuff for the kids to play with more more (laughs) more tools to for for yeah i feel like you wouldn't send kids on a a transportation first round ship yes or short range transportation ships too yes which is why they have shuttles bam there we go so um, there no, that, that totally, it totally does make sense for them to like, why would you send kids in the first batch of colonists? That's stupid, dangerous, right. which is, um, which is why the aliens kidnapped those, those 
adult humans initially was to go and tell them, dudes, you're, you're going into death. This is bad. I, well, I think you would have to have kids on a, on uh, any decent attempt for colonization so that you don't have everyone the same age. You would, you would want some generational overlap and not yeah. relying on, okay, everybody get pregnant now. Um, <laughs> Yeah, Once you get that's there. true. Well, yeah, that was kind of my initial thought in in why kids are going in the first wave, but it is actually really dangerous to bring your kids on a first wave colonization attempt. Um, but on the other the, hand, the people brought their kids when they, you know, when we've colonized other, you know, continents and stuff here. I mean, the the the, the pilgrims and people like that would bring their families with them. That's true, but they, I mean, Columbus didn't bring any little kids on board. Uh, is no, not. Yeah, yeah I mean, those, but those are more explorers than settlers. They, they didn't come. They came here just to grab some gold and kill some people. Yeah, I, back. the, the Conestoga wagons, the the Oregon yeah, the, Trail. The, the, yeah, that's totally right. True. The people who are coming to stay uh, brought their families. You would you would have a hard time getting anyone to leave otherwise. Well, we could make an that argument either way. We could make an. I, yeah. I, I think you could really make an argument either which way. What, yeah. what well, might that could this... have been an argument that you could have lying in the background of. You know, people actually had that argument of whether or not to bring kids on the first mm-hmm. wave, and it was sure. a controversial thing. And sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so the end, the end game. Uh, uh, the 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 colony ship. One suggested the colony ship is heading towards danger, and the aliens are trying to intercept. Maybe the the magpie aliens, the aliens of a, the different culture of avians, are actually hoping that the Winnipeg will go ahead and go on through with their implanted uh, uh, members, so that they can get into the red zone, whatever, mm-hmm. and and explore using the humans as sort of scapegoats and and Trojan horses. Uh, and not risk anything, whereas the good aliens are thinking, no, no, we can't do this. What do you think? I don't know. I, I I mean, I can tell you what I had sort of sketched out, and you can tell me if you think it works. Yeah. I was, how do I put this? Um, the, The sort of two main political factions among Birdie's people are kind of the they're the ones who are very like aggressively expansionist who are like all of these planets are ours we haven't colonized them yet but they're ours and you can't have them and the ones who are like no actually this is awesome they're sentient aliens we should totally hang out with them and learn stuff and you know share planets with them because we can we can build a coalition that's stronger than some of its parts um which I, I might be a little too black and white. I need to gray that up a little so that the the aliens who are antagonistic have you know reasonable motivations that aren't just mine, mine, mine. But yeah, it's made me think of the birds from Finding yes, Nemo. Yes, the seagulls from Finding Nemo. Mine, mine. Um, well, and maybe in look, maybe looking at different birds' behaviors is a good way to come up with the conflict between, mm-hmm. or, or establish what the conflicts between the different factions of avian aliens. Yeah, I've been coming back around to March of the Penguins in my head, actually, because the idea that the planet that they're going to is some sort of ancestral breeding ground for these people could be really interesting. Yeah. Like, it might not even be something they use anymore because they're technologically advanced and they're not, like, ruled by their instincts. They're not penguins. They don't have to go there every spring or whatever. Well, like, puffins. Um, puffins well, but it's, like, it's there. it's a historical place. It's, maybe it's holy a ground. For them. Yeah. It's holy ground. They don't want humans crapping it up. 
and no one's no one's been there for centuries. See, and and what I'm thinking, Holly, is this: we could have this be kind of a cool thing uh, uh, that actually launches into a next book. Because if if all we're dealing with initially for this first book is the avians and the humans, and I think we should. I think I mean I, the story is certainly big enough to support mm-hmm. just that. But then at the end, have there be an implication that there is a third race out there, and that this whatever the end game is, it reveals or exposes that. That could be cool. Um, In some way. Yeah, no, I mean, I would like there. To, I'd like, I would like it to end with some hint that there's a larger universe than just that little bubble of we have to of the rescue mission. Yeah. Well, uh, and okay. the notion of of a holy of the holy ground, the the ground that no one, no avian has been on for centuries, for generations, uh, uh, is 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 there, and it can't be tainted. But for whatever reason, the ship can't be stopped. So the best we can do is try and control the damage. There's there's political dealings in there and so on. And eventually you get down there and it's like, holy crap, what is this third petroglyph on my pyramid or whatever, <laughs> something along those lines. Hmm, okay. Thoughts? Well, what what kind of adventures are the the, the trio? What are they going to, are you going to have them go through a series of adventures before they get to the? I, I think I want a couple planet? of different set pieces. I they first they have to learn how to fly the ship, which is going to take a little while, and they're going to end up sort of out of their own. Like they're going to have to go by the slow path a little bit, take the take the wormhole jumps that Birdie's people built and then abandoned. Um, then they're going to figure out the FTL drive, and probably as a way of testing that out, they're going to go visit one of Athena's pen pals on another colony ship. Okay. One that's closer to Earth, that's within communication range of Earth, and try and get a message back to Earth via that ship about what's going on. Okay. Um, and also meet meet someone who Athena has only communicated with by very, very, very long distance letters. Um, like, not even that many of them, because she only gets one about once a year. Now, that uh, might be an interesting place to have Paul start getting jealous Oh yeah, that could be really cool. The, because he, if he if he up to this point has just taken for granted the fact that there's another kid there and he will yeah, have all of her attention because they can't communicate with Birdie, mm-hmm. yeah. that might be a yeah. good spot to introduce some. some and, and Athena uh, meeting her pen pal is fi- is like finally oh my god someone who likes me and Paul is like but but wait you were paying attention to me Hope's that no nice. Nice, nice character. This is, and then this all of a again, sudden, this is sounding like, a lot like I my marriage. Well, then, then, Hugh, what what other adventures, perhaps, would you recommend? Maybe not drawn specifically from your marriage, but but just in general, uh, uh, to help expand and elaborate on this relationship between Paul and Athena. You know, it's my my marriage has been uh, wilder than fiction. So, I, like <laughs> things that I would. Things that I would pull from from my marriage would be too unbelievable to to put into a, a story. Unfortunately, <laughs> that's why you want to do a romance novel. I get it now. Okay, I got yeah. it. Yeah, I mean, so so, but but what about uh, you know? I I can see you know layering in things starting with you know locally in the ship a ship malfunction a ship signal uh, uh, something that's that raises the stakes but not a lot and and then gradually escalated to the avians and then the jump gates and then the ftl and all of that yeah no maybe oh no um that that works that sort of progression of figuring out the ship that they're on that little tiny world of just that little shuttle and then figuring out the wormhole jumps trying to get far enough to get some help from someone somewhere getting to some other humans and I'm then realizing say, yeah, that they're that, not going to have any help there. That's the one challenge that I'm kind of concerned with is is the cast is very small. 
yeah. for a lot of this. Is anybody else getting that concern or do you think that can... Yeah, which is why I want to get them to yeah. a ship with other humans on it for at least a little while so they can meet gotcha. us in its pen pal, okay. realize uh, we're not going to get any help from this quarter, we're on our own for this, and then go into the adventure of the FTL travel, going to Birdie's, one of Birdie's right. home planets. I have a, uh, an idea, just a little bit. It just hit me, sorry. Um, okay. If you look at the Odyssey, Telemachus's storyline is all about going out and trying to find his father mm-hmm. and uh, being mentored by Athena. The- it would be really interesting if you could draw a parallel with some of the th- some of the challenges he faces, such as going to the king of whatever it was, I don't remember. Um, bad classics major. Yeah. Um, but uh, going to, to the king... And uh, and trying to get his help and not getting the help, so there might be a couple of parallels in that. Yeah, like Athena goes to the captain. Uh, I I the the ship that that I have in mind is uh, her her pen pal ship is called the Galilee, and it has an all Jewish crew. Um, this is just a thing that I thought would be cool. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> because my people are not represented enough in science fiction. I feel. Roger that. Roger that. Um, Absolutely. So uh, she goes to the captain of the Galilee and says, you know, this is this is what's up. This is an alien. He goes, holy crap, an alien. Uh, (laughs) She goes, "Okay, but more importantly, you need to help me rescue my mom. And he's like, but an alien, we need to deal with the alien. Aliens more important than your mom. Absolutely. And and so now she has to get Birdie back from the captain and then you get back on the on the shuttle and then fire up the FTL drive and get her mom. So it, it. her attempt at enlisting help turns into a lot more trouble than it's worth. That's cool, though. That works. Hugh, did you have something? I've, I've heard a couple of ooh, but ah, from your from your <laughs> mic, and I, I want to give you some. I'm, being... like, I'm like Birdie, like no one can communicate with me, and <laughs> I just, I'm just be... making. I'm laughing and making noises over here. That's right, and and you know, being the guest host, we thought we'd give you some mic time. So so, did, I, did you know, my, my first uh, my first story was a um, very. Similar to this, and that you had a boy and a girl going through a series of adventures with a spaceship. They were having to learn as they as they went, and uh, I, I I didn't even know what the word picaresque meant before um, uh, Douglas Preston uh, blurbed the book, and he called you know is a number one New York Times bestseller. And he's blurbing my book, and he uses the word picaresque, and I'm like, is, I'm looking at my wife, and I say, is this good or bad? I have no idea what this word means. So yeah, that, I that is. I go like Google and find out that it's it's I guess it's a frowned upon storytelling technique, but it's a it's a it's a kind of a classic one, and maybe I picked it up yeah, in my I love of it. The the first novel I wrote had had a lot of that to it because it was sort of it was an adventure story, but it was you know traveling and and yeah, well, having various for, set pieces on the way. Exactly for young adult, it's like you, you you don't want your plot to be so complex you have to carry ten threads all in their head at once. That's more right. of a an adult thing. Younger, if you watch how p- kids watch TV and, mo- and movies, they want to watch the same TV show, the same episode even, or same movie, ten times in a row to glean oh, everything from ever. it. Yeah. yeah, so I would, you know, I would lean towards uh, figuring out, you know, telling three or, or five fun stories all in one larger arc of mm-hmm. rescuing the, the, the family. And, and maybe Birdie is trying to rescue her parents as well. So they had this comment when they find out what the, she's been doing at the end, they find sure. out they've all been working towards a common goal with no way of communicating it. 
That's um, awesome. But if there's oh, a whole other oh, oh, alien oh. race that they... Something uh, exciting just happened. Oh, my. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> well, I've been thinking up to the point where they get to the other ship, they probably have no real way to communicate to Birdie what they're trying to do. When mm-hmm. they get to the other ship, suddenly they see other families, or at least one other family. And they might have a way to point and say that. I'm looking for that. Oh, okay. That's actually really funny that you should say that because there is a scene that I've written where they're in the shuttle and Paul is trying to figure out how to get it out of the bigger ship. And Athena is frantically trying to convey to Bertie that she's not there to hurt her. And what she does is pulls out, you know, the future equivalent of the iPad and calls up a picture of her mom and says, I'm looking for this. Have you seen this? And like a picture of her and her mom and dad together. And it's like, eh, eh. And right. Birdie picks up her equivalent of the iPad and shows her a picture of her and her parent. Well, I, 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 is there any point where there's going to be like a translator where they can actually talk to each other? There, There is definitely going to be a point where they've worked out enough of a syllabary for each other that they can understand what the other is saying, even if they can't communicate in each other's languages. So Birdie can whistle and Athena can interpret that as someone is trying to kill us. Run. And Athena can say, you know, um, please put that down. It's going to explode. And Birdie will hear the, will understand it as the correct (laughs) whistles. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, look, guys, I'm looking at the time. I'm seeing the time tick down and, and we've got, (laughs) there's been a lot of awesome ideas dancing around here. And I think there's probably more to explore, but what I'd like to do right now is just take one last turn uh, uh, around the table and and give Holly some closing thoughts, some ideas in terms of of what what she can do to make this as awesome a tale as possible. Fill fill her pockets with some literary gold that she can take with her uh, okay. as she as she goes forward with this. So, Hugh, we'll start off with you, sir. Uh, uh, what final thoughts, final considerations, ideas you didn't get a chance to put out there? Uh, uh, let, let's send Holly off with it with a good load of stuff. I would two things. Um, science fiction is made. Uh, cross-genre and, and popular by making sure it's all about the characters, not so much the, the the world and the technology and the cool things you have going on. Those are nice layers, but make the characters three-dimensional and believable mm-hmm. and have their interactions something that we can um, uh, empathize with. And if you do that, you can tell a story about people doing anything and you'll right. want to read it because you love the characters. So invest in them heavily and one tip that I give myself that I remind myself while doing this is that characters have to have things that they carry with them, uh, things that they cherish. Their pockets can't be empty. And that happens too often in, in stories and fiction where um, they're just vehicles for the plot to occur to them. So give them trinkets and things that are dear to them that they carry with them. And, and whether that's memories and scars or physical items and lockets and things in their pockets, Mm-hmm. Um, and to flesh them out, you know, uh, too often characters don't have occupations. They don't have family. They're just, uh, the eyeballs of the reader for which the plot occurs to. So, um, sounds like you've got some great plot ideas, just really flesh those characters out and, right. and, and see the world through your, your sense of first person through your, uh, Athena's eyes. And, and I think you've got a, a great start here with the story. Outstanding. Cool. Agreed. Totally. Lauren, what about you? Final, final thoughts for Holly? Um, Well, we do tend to discredit people that we can't speak to and assume that 
they're either not as smart or not as complex as we are. So I would encourage you to use that with Bertie and the kids, uh, with the humans and the avians, and with the kids' feelings about each other, um, have them prove each other wrong and surprise each other with their intelligence and insight. Because if you can do that, then I think that would really bring the whole theme of communication and not and non-communication um, to a to a head and really help to solidify that as a theme. That's an awesome point. I hadn't yeah, that's considered really great. that. But you're you're absolutely right. And you know, then then that also brings out prejudice. Uh, uh, and judgment and assumptions along those lines that that are almost in, inevitably and invariably are wrong. Uh, uh, right, so. and they can hobble themselves with it. Exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. That's very they cool. They just assume Bertie won't know anything about their ship. Yeah. That they're trying to fly and flying poorly. That's, that's And yet excellent. Bertie that's- might be able to be like, uh, this is how you do that, but you she got can't the parking brake on. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, that's fabulous. That's excellent. Um, for, for myself, Holly, uh, I just, this, this, this is so full of goodery, uh, uh, the, the many levels of the story that you've got going on here. This, this is, this is good stuff. Um, one, one thing that occurs to me is, is having, uh, uh, utilizing, uh, technology, uh, as a common ground that they talk about, you know, with first contact, it will be math. Uh, uh, and seeing as how Bertie is going to be with Paul and Athena, uh, uh, they can use the technology to to serve as a a gap bridger mm-hmm. uh, between Definitely. them in some way, shape, or form. Uh, and and maybe in the course of this of that conversation, allowing each of them in some way to contribute in a meaningful way that creates a third thing, a fourth thing, whatever. Uh, uh, that is more than the sum of their parts. Maybe that might be a little overt, uh, uh, but but well, a metaphor. Not if they for middle grade. Using a translator. Not if they create a translator. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. Something along those lines. You know, and I'd, I'd love. To, I can see them like cannibalizing one of the old uh, uh, jump gates and actually turning it into a navigation tool that allows them to make these these incredibly stellar jumps from one colony ship to another. Uh, that sounds cool. Something along those lines. So anyway. Yeah. Very cool. Well, okay. Holly, holy smokes. Uh, it's never easy to do what you have done, and, and you have done it so very, very well. well uh, thank you. We, we so very much appreciate you bringing a story and letting us, letting us play in your sandbox for a while. This has been awesome. Well, I'm glad you like the sandbox. Yes. You, yeah, you thank make, you so much. You make thank an you. awesome sandbox. Now, here's the deal, Holly. Um, when you write this, you mm-hmm. you put it up on your website, you you e-pub it, you self-publish it, you put it up on patio books through audio fiction, you get a big five contract, whatever. <laughs> you come back. You let us know. Uh, oh, I will. <laughs> and we will hold a knighting ceremony, and we will make you a knight of the round table. We'll, we'll do it up with, with lightsabers and, and all kinds of sci-fi <laughs> goodness. So that's the plan. <laughs> we won't actually tap your shoulder with the lightsabers. No, that would be bad. That, that would not go well. That would be awkward. I like my shoulders. That would be painful. So yes. Uh, Mr. Hugh Howie guest host with the most. Um, this, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for coming and joining us and, and weighing in and, and bringing, bringing your, your, expertise your experience your insights uh to the discussion it's been really helpful and we're very grateful thanks man i've uh you know it's funny that people think i'm an expert i'm just making this up as i go so thanks for having me <laughs> yeah but you do it well you you make it up really good you make up good so <laughs> thanks <laughs> very cool uh and uh you know lauren i gotta thank you too man this has been a delight to have my sister as my co-host uh so thank you for for making time and stepping in filling in brian's shoes 
Well, you know, on a scale, on an excitement scale of one to Corgi, I am Corgi on coffee. <laughs> oh my I've been god! On this show. Oh my god! Wow. Caffeinated Corgi. It's like that's <laughs> vibrating so hard you can pass through walls. That is. That's that's that's, that's a physical phenomenon we don't want to we don't want to explore too too heavily. That's awesome. I feel the same way, ma'am. This, I think this... that's how the wormholes between the interdimen between the systems are created. That's it. We need pets. Corgi. We need pets on the on the ship. Oh, there's uh, a ship's cat. Um, oh, oh, perfect. Of course. Yeah, there is. Yeah, name him. He has a great name. It's uh, Franklin the Seventh, I believe. Because <laughs> <laughs> he's not—he's not actually cryosleeped, is he? he? This is this is the no, seventh they just generation. Go through a lot of cats. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> and, and of course, because we have an avian race, perfect. Yeah. Also, they're Canadian, so I was thinking of the hand of Franklin. <laughs> God. Nice. See, all of these things we don't get because we only give you five to eight minutes to pitch your story. Dear <laughs> friends, thank you as always for tuning in to the awesomeness, the madness, the weirdness that is the round table. Uh, this has been a particularly delightful experience. Um, if, if you're laughing and smiling and digging as much as we are, feel free to spread the word. Let the world know the, the round table is out there. Uh, a review on iTunes is always welcome. And thank you to those who have already done so that they're, they're stunning. They're beautiful. And we really appreciate that. Um, we can continue this discussion about Holly's story on the post itself. A lot of you have jumped in and said, Ooh, I've got an idea. And the conversation continues once the episode goes up. So by all means, uh, I'll make sure Holly is aware of it. When I know there's, there's, there's so many of you that have ideas. Let's continue the discussion there. And of course you can always catch us on Twitter at Writers Podcast on Facebook at facebook.com slash roundtable podcast and the email address thetable at roundtablepodcast.com. Now, I know we're all sitting here going, guys, what, what do we do now? Well, now we all take a break. But in a couple of days, this starts all over again on the round table. More awesome guest hosts bringing their mojo to the table. More courageous guest writers bringing their story ideas for us to explore and, and delve into and, and transmogrify into gold. Uh, uh, more round table goodness all around. But that's a couple of days away. Lauren, any ideas, suggestions, possibilities of what our listeners might do between now and then? invent a language yes and then write in it yes <laughs> and provide ample documentation and a glossary at the end awesome it worked for tolkien it did it'll work for you <laughs> absolutely good advice and and dear friends i'll i'll just go back with the tired old chestnut of you know you find what you're looking for if you look for awesome stuff i guarantee you you'll find it we will be back in just a couple of days with even more awesomeness. But until then, you guys stay cool, be frosty, be awesome, and we will talk to you soon. Bye-bye. This episode is copyright 2013 by the Roundtable Podcast and is released under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, share-alike license. That means don't sell it but you can share it all you like. And you can even use pieces of it in your own derivative work, as long as you attribute us as the source and release the work under the same licensing terms. Theme music composed and performed by the talented Hepcats of Brotown, Gary Gold, David Labroyere, Billy Nobel, and Matt O'Donnell. If you'd like to be a guest writer or guest host, or learn more about the Roundtable podcast, please visit our website at www.roundtablepodcast.com. 
or visit our Facebook page at facebook.com slash roundtablepodcast. Our Twitter tag is at writerspodcast, or you can send us an email at thetable at roundtablepodcast.com. Thanks for listening.